to marginally vanish a show where we aim an intersectional lens at some of our favorite media and their fandoms my name is parinita shetty and you're listening to the 7th episode of marginally vanish in this episode i talk to aditi krishna kumar about how different cultures are represented in some of our favorite fantasy worlds as readers who grew up in india there are many cultural stereotypes in western texts which we just didn't pick up on now we've learned a lot through the collective intelligence of online fandom the ways in which mainstream media portrays different cultures influences audience attitudes about people from these cultures the dominance of western fantasy and culture in fiction marginalizes other ways of being in the world in a lot of fantasy worlds diverse cultures are used either as set dressing or just for comic relief the ways in which different languages and foods are depicted can also sideline certain groups of people what is considered the norm and what is exotic in popular fantasy whose cultures and intellectual histories are privileged such conversations about diversity among fans can play a huge role in decolonizing traditional ideas of fantasy retellings of old stories both in traditional media and within fandom are increasingly used to subvert problematic ideas and reflect progressive values find our conversation about all this and more in today's episode happy listening so glad that i get to chat with aditi krishna kumar aditi grew up in india and she now works in the finance industry in singapore and she enjoys reading and is a published writer so we share a children's book publisher duckbill books in india and when aditi's book was due to be released my editors asked me if i'd like to inter- uh, interview her for their blog because they know i'm a middle grade fantasy nerd i fell so completely in love with the magicians of mud and aditi creates such a fascinating world populated with the most absurd in the best way possible i love absurd characters and so she has a bunch of absurd characters and cultures and i just didn't want to stop reading her world and if you're into comic fantasy and middle grade books you should definitely check her book out as well and this week aditi and i are going to talk about how different cultures are represented in some of our favorite fantasy worlds both of us love reading fantasy and we're also going to chat about our experiences in online fandom a bit so aditi do you want to introduce your own experiences encountering different cultures either in fiction fandom or the real world you know i think and this is probably true for lots of us growing up in india sort of the first things that you read the first fantasy everything it's all and it like and so everything yeah. is you know everything that you ima- and all the magical creatures that you hear about are like the brownies and the pixies and yeah <laughs> and you know uh, the things they eat the puddings and cakes and jellies and all. so that was pretty much it and then the hobbit i guess was the next and these are all they're just so very very british both of them like really british books which is fine because they were by british writers but i think it has changed now but growing up there was definitely not much fantasy not many fantasy books that were really you know relatable for me 
in, yeah. in that way. Although, yeah. I'm the same as well. I grew up reading Enid Blyton and other like British and American books, uh, children's books. So like there was the Babysitters yeah. Club and things and um, Shut- it it was just like even yeah yes so even like things that weren't fantasy or even if they were fantasy it like the fantastical world was a whole other thing as well as that real world in the UK or in the US was also this sort of foreign like alien world almost and like I also grew up watching a lot of Bollywood movies like I love Bollywood movies now that I live in the UK I don't get to watch them as much I grew up in Mumbai and Mm -hmm. so it is pretty diverse but it's still a very limited diversity like even though we have a lot of people from all over the country in the city especially when you're younger you only uh, really interact with a limited group of people right right. and in school you've just got a small bunch of friends and then exactly or in your housing society you'll have neighbors and things you know and so Bollywood for me was like introduced me to all these different cultures and just now thinking like I've never tried to look at Bollywood critically until like a few years ago and there are so many stereotypes in terms of different cultures that they portray in Bollywood movies as well. Like, you know, when it comes to tribal folk, like in Bollywood movies and in Hollywood as well, I guess, and their customs, it's just so full of stereotypes or even like different religions or different people from different regions, like, you know, Gujarati stereotypes or South Indian stereotypes or Bengali stereotypes. Like, there are so many. For me, Bollywood was this big thing. And of course, like you said, in like Enid Blyton, I know that she's now been criticized a lot for like because gollywogs were supposed to represent black people in her books and yeah you know I think it's still one of those things that you can sort of still because some things are really I I still think are good about her books sort of especially her school stories I think you know they they show girls being sort of independent you don't necessarily see that in the famous five and stuff because it's but where her stories are exclusively about girls I think I mean you she does have problems and you can acknowledge them but I think there's still like some great stuff no absolutely like I still love Enid Blyton's books because it made me fall in love with reading like those are the books <laughs> that I read when I was six and you know when like I the faraway tree and the famous five and things were just and like obviously at that age I didn't pick up on these anti-foreigner sentiments and gollywogs and racism so I wouldn't even have thought of because I had I no conception I didn't even know what a gollywog yeah was. exactly like I mean there were pictures of like you know the gollywog in the books in some of the like I think the toys uh, naughty they had some golly yeah but like I would never have just because growing up in India like I don't have that idea that oh this is supposed to represent black people I just thought like oh this is a doll you know I used to have those trolls when I was a kid right those trolls yeah yeah it was something like that it's like with Harry Potter as well right like you can love the world and the story but you can also critique it it doesn't need to pass by unproblematically but you can still love it like it's I think that balance between and it's difficult because I think especially the books and things that were written a longer time ago when these conversations weren't happening it's like you know if we read them through 2020 lenses it might not be as diverse and inclusive as we want it to be And I think it's important to have that conversation that this is where it is missing. And, you know, this is where it's, I would still want to read Enid Blyton books because the stories themselves are something that I have such positive uh, associations with. 
But just to uh, begin with, maybe with our episode, a few of the podcast episodes that you and I we listened to touched on the theme of the dominance of Western fantasy and culture in fiction, and right. how this either you know marginalizes or exoticizes other cultures and beliefs. And like we talked about Enid Blyton a bit when you were listening to this, did you think of any examples yourself? Um, a few. I mean, one was um, Blyton herself, because there's this. Um, I forget which one it is. One of these five find out as books. Yeah. Where oh, I remember. I think it's the the missing prince or the vanished prince or something like that. So there's like an Indian prince called Bongawi oh. or Bongawa or something. Yeah, and that's that very Indian name. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that's the kind of thing I thought at the time. I honestly, I'm not sure I even realized they meant like. Indian like people from India I don't know what I thought but yeah because they also call Native Americans Indians right like a lot of these early books that was another American Indians was like this other thing yeah so in breaking the glass slipper the cultural traditions of magic episode with uh, Zen Cho like she was talking about how like the fantasy fiction that we read it currently depends on which culture is dominant and mostly like the stuff that is dominant right now is Western fantasy. Like it's British and it's American and even on television. So like I didn't even realize these ideas of fantasy that had been shaped by Western culture. Like because you grow up in India, at least if you grow up in certain parts of India, like in cities and things, you have access to both Western and Indian culture you have influences of both so I thought it was interesting that she pointed this out because even she was from Malaysian so she's Malaysian British and she pointed out how like a lot of western fantasy is very Judeo-Christian and you know it exoticizes anything that doesn't fit within that framework and I was like oh yeah I I actually hadn't thought about that it does right and I think it's partly because I don't know to what it because um the the other thing you shared, I think the article about the Star Wars holiday special, because yeah, uh, I like Star Wars, but I think that's that's part of the reason everyone sort of tends to make fun of that, and you can kind of see why people make fun of it because it's just so obviously. And have you watched it? Have you watched the Star Wars? Yeah, I hadn't special? watched it for years, but when I read that article, I saw a bit of it on YouTube. So yeah, oh my <laughs> god, I only so just as an aside because it's like I just love that movie so much <laughs> because I discovered it like one of my friends um they introduced it to me a couple of years ago. Like mm-hmm. we were just on this sort of bad movie night. Like we'd have these regular bad movie nights at their flat, and we watched this, and I just couldn't believe that you know sort of the, this cultural touchstone that Star Wars is and the Star Wars holiday special what it is and I, I don't even ironically love it I very sincerely <laughs> and unironically love that ridiculous little movie that even George Lucas has completely like divorced himself from it like nope I, I'm not going to do this but yeah sorry I interrupted you I think it started from George Lucas because, you know, you always read about how he was influenced by Joseph Campbell. And I read this book at some point of how Harry Potter also reflects the hero's journey from uh, Campbell. And But the thing is, Joseph Campbell's books themselves, I've always felt like they are so, like even his books about Oriental mythology are still so much from a Western lens. Yeah. And that's like the proto-text that people very often consider now for fantasy writing or for epic writing. But that that itself is such a Western lens that, you know, that's 
Yeah, and even on like a couple of the, the imaginary worlds episodes that uh, we listen to, like in general, like how they were talking about basically science fiction. I don't know if it was the ones that we listened to, but I've listened to a lot of his episodes. And just, you know, this analogy with science fiction, like things like Star Trek, which, you know, the whole concept is like it is like, you know, discovery and whatever. But it is a very Western colonial perspective as well, which you don't think about, right? Like when you're, at least I don't, I've grown up not thinking critically about, (laughs) you know, media at all. I just, I'm entertained by media and it's only now that I found that I, you know, I have those tools and the vocabulary to articulate these things. But also I enjoy doing it. I enjoy looking at these things critically. Like I was watching Star Wars, the trilogy the other day and the Ewoks, like the original yeah. trilogy, they are also so like very stereotypically tribal. It's very, I was like, okay, yeah, this is interesting. I, I didn't realize how much. When you see it as a kid, you just think that they're kind of cute. Like Yeah, yeah. And even like the Star Wars holiday special. So like the first 20 minutes is like, and this is what I love telling my friends about this movie, about how ridiculous this movie is. It, it is like 20 minutes of unsubtitled Wookiee dialogue. So they're just, <laughs> right, <that is laughs> yeah. just... they're just literally like grunting. <laughs> like you have to just imagine what they're saying to each other and you don't have this context. But then, like I said, unironically love this movie but because I love critically analyzing it I was also thinking like you know to me it was a bit like how someone who doesn't speak the dominant language in a culture or doesn't belong to the dominant religion or the race or whatever depending on where they are and how for them their culture is marginalized as well like in this bookie land like obviously nobody understands them like we the reader like the audience doesn't understand them and it's so easy to make fun of it to like you know laugh laugh it off yeah but but, you know but you know on a somewhat related note this is one thing I found when watching you know not the really big budget Hollywood movies but some TV shows and things like that is that when they're speaking especially when they're speaking in time locationally and very often they're allegedly speaking in Tamil which I speak but I don't know that it's Tamil because it oh. sounds nothing like it and I have to read the subtitles. So it's sort of like, <laughs> you know, oh, right. they've not actually even got someone to, you know, got a decent voice coach, which they would do if someone was speaking like French or Spanish or something. Like, I know we're going to talk about it a little more later, but just because, like you said, that just the politics of language as well, where like I was watching um what's oh, I've completely blanked out on the Hasan Minaj's show, the one on Netflix. Yeah. He was doing an episode on like, I love that show. And he was doing an episode on uh, India, like the Indian pol- political system. I think it was about Modi. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But like the subtitles there. So he started speaking in Hindi at one point and the subtitles said like speaks in a foreign language. And I was like, <laughs> um, like, first of all, you're a global platform, like you're on Netflix, you know, so you're not I mean, like it's produced in the US, but it is on a global platform. So foreign for whom? And also you're literally talking about the Indian elections. It wouldn't have been so difficult to like, you know, figure out that it is Hindi or to just like look it up or, or something, which I thought was yeah, I sent a very outrage message to one of my <laughs> friends saying like foreign to home <laughs> so so the problem isn't obviously including diverse cultures in your world you want diverse cultures it's only I think when you use these unfamiliar cultures as if they're I think Zen mentioned the Zen show that as if they're yeah. set dressing in your fantasy world you right. know especially yeah. if that culture is marginalized in the real world yeah 
one of the things that we that we read was the Native American this whole fiasco that J.K. Rowling had found herself oh my God, in. Yeah, with those Skinwalker things. That was yeah. Just- and I honestly, I have to admit, I don't know that much about Native American culture, and you know, like about what is considered like what they consider really sacred and what they consider really a part of their culture like even i think another thing that's really popular in on the internet now is or it was a few years ago was like my spirit animal like you know right, something yeah. is my spirit animal which now a lot of like native uh, people on twitter and things say that no this is like it's offensive to us we don't like you using this so instead why don't you use Petronas because that's that's basically what you mean and that's not offending anybody she's so rich like why doesn't she just hire a research assistant to do this stuff like you know it's not like (laughs) yeah it's just to me ridiculous no I think that's what's happened with her is that you know as long as she was writing about British things in a British setting she probably knew what was too sacred to be touched simply because she grew up with it. But once anyone, not just J.K. Rowling, once anyone starts writing about something that unfamiliar. But you would think that, like, especially now, because this she did not write in the 90s about, you know, uh, magic in North America on her Pottermore yeah, um, essays. It was now when these conversations are very present, like the, on the Internet, this is happening. And even if she doesn't spend time on the Internet, the fact that you have this sort of power and your voice is reaching so many people and you know that your franchise is super popular you would think that you would you make more of an effort more. yeah it's not just that it's like her list of visiting schools you've got like three of them in Europe and <laughs> oh all of my Asia God. has one visiting school in Japan like, yeah in Japan I was listening to this other podcast um woke doctor who where they were doing a Harry Potter thing mm-hmm. and uh, one of them she's um Chinese American and she was like, um, Japan attacked China, like, you know, like a few decades ago. I don't think Chinese wizards would be really happy to go to Japan and like, you know, just like, yeah, hello, everything's all right. And Africa, I think, has won. Like the whole of Africa has won with yeah. school as well. This is basic maths. She doesn't need to do, she just needs to like work out the population and figure out where the schools should be. That's it. Yeah, like and the UK, I mean, it's like such a tiny place and they get like, you know, this whole, this British visiting school, which of course, like that has its own, like, so I didn't realize this when like, you know, all these sort of British politics have only, you know, know the nuances of once I've moved to the UK. But mm-hmm. um, Jack, who is Scottish, like he had encountered this thing of Seamus Finnegan. He doesn't read Harry Potter, but he knows some things. And yeah. Seamus Finnegan, this Irish character who loves blowing things up and setting things yeah. on fire. And I was like, oh my God, what? I didn't even make that connection that, you know, like your one Irish character loves blowing things <laughs> up. It's not. Which I guess like there is an element of, I suppose, like you're just doing it. Right. Or maybe she thought that she was doing it as parody, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know where that line is between, you know, like this North America thing. Definitely it's she's crossed the line because there have been like Native American fans of Harry Potter who've called her out on it. And she hasn't yet to my belief, like she hasn't responded to the critique at all. So. Right. And the other thing that is the uh, Nagini thing, which has been another disaster I think for her in this context because it's sort of I mean in so many ways it's just so wrong to begin with it she's 
not really focused on the mythology, which is a secondary thing, but also this this whole concept. I don't know if she thought about it at the time when she said that killing Nagini was necessary. Am I? I don't think Harry Potter spoilers count now, do they? No, no. <laughs> I mean I put a spoiler warning anyway. But yeah. But, um, but when you realize then that she was in fact a woman who was forced to be in that form, and then killing her is necessary, and it, it's just such a really really terrible thing and especially in a world where the characters of color you can count on like maybe if not one hand on two hands you know even though this is i think nagini was from is she not in crimes of Grindelwald? i haven't watched that movie yet it's on my list as a proper harry potter scholar i suppose i should but i've heard (laughs) such bad things about it that it's completely put me off watching it but yeah like even in the Harry Potter world but also in that like sort of prequel world there aren't that many characters of color so like the way to include diversity isn't necessarily to you know make this dramatic death scene like, <laughs> I, I don't know it, it just seems like basic but yeah and and some of these ideas you know they become so ingrained in you like unconsciously because of what we're exposed to because of what we're reading we internalize these ideas of fantasy that we don't even understand that oh this is our idea of fantasy which is why like I love Terry Pratchett like his Discworld books because you know they push against it so often like they just take these sort of tropes and stereotypes and they turn it upside down in a way that you know like the reader is like oh yeah you're do like you're subverting it and in a way that's obviously not obviously subverting it like he's not saying oh look at me look at how clever I am <laughs> but I mean he is pretty clever so so you know like I loved yeah, it but, yeah that's true and all his like um the characters who sort of make a difference like Vimes and Lady Sybil and Granny Weatherwax they're, they're not like the stereotypical heroic characters so Yeah, and they're like taking like witches, for example, or aristocracy or just, you know, like guards and yeah, it's like taking them into this and it's not like completely doing away with their identity. Like, you know, it's not subverting it in a way that their history doesn't matter, if that makes sense. Like it's using that, it's using their history and their identity to subvert their, yeah, which like I really like. No, I think that's cool because it's also not like, you know, the solution is not to say I'm introducing this character who's diverse, but they're exactly like all the other characters. And it's just that from their name or the actor playing them or something, that's how you know that they're diverse. But Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, th- that's, I think, also, I'm always torn, you know, as like as a writer, but also as a reader, because currently, like, diversity is so, like, you know, we are still not there yet where we've achieved, like, equal representation. So, you know, like, what's the better way where you don't mention anyone's race and you or you know race or ability or like gender or gender identity or whatever and you like just sort of allow people to read themselves into it or you explicitly mention like all the diverse identities so that it is more explicit yeah actually I think both ways work but I mean to an extent because if you're in a fantasy world with made-up names, then it's fine. You don't have to, like, people can just imagine anything. Sometimes in the real world, just the the sort of names and locations give you a bit of an idea of, of at least culturally, what you mean. Though, yeah, Jen, honestly, it's, and I know I'm speaking from a position of privilege here because I can afford not to care, but it's just something I've never 
really thought about one way or another in books because I tend to you know all this thing about shipping and who do you want to be dating whom and all that I've I've never been involved in and never even really have I cared about it it's always sort of like you know yeah like what other people say like I honestly didn't think about these things either until I was like listening to this episode I forget the name of the podcast oh yeah hashtag wizard team and it's like these two black American fans who are reading like each chapter so each chapter and they just like have a commentary and they read well Hermione but also Hagrid and Minerva McGonagall is black because they said that you know there, there is nothing that said otherwise in the text in Harry Potter, all the characters who are not white, are their race is mentioned. Whereas, yeah. like, everybody else is, like, normal, I guess. Or, you know, just, like, you don't need to know their race because they're obviously white. So, right. I, I realized that when I'm, re- like, I'm reading Harry Potter or I'm reading any text that is, like, Western, like, you know, Western or third. For me, everyone is white. Like, I have not yet been able to sort of decolonize my mind that much that I read, like, my race or another race into it. Like, I need to be told that this person is black or this person is Asian or this, like, you know, just for me to be able to even imagine differently. I suppose because I've only been reading a certain kind of books and watching a certain... You know, that happens with me too when it's a Western writer, sort of, Unless, yeah, you're right. Unless they specifically say this character is whatever they are, you just assume that they are. Sort yeah, of which is why like I'm trying to so like over the last I think year or a bit, I was trying to read more fantasy exclusively authored by women. It just started off as like randomly, but then I realized that, oh, I actually really enjoy the different kinds of stories that are here now when it's women who are authoring these worlds and in a way that I didn't even realize I was missing because I was reading most of the books that are written by men or like tv shows and movies that are created by men and then I started reading more about from like right women of color as they say in the US which I'm like it's a term I've adopted whereas both (laughs) of us we are women of color we are both from like India even in Singapore they're like everyone is like from I, I think it's like a very multicultural right like a lot of different countries inhabit it is is, yeah especially um in sort of the business district and all you you could be in any country because there there are like you know Chinese and Japanese and Indians and Europeans so there's like everybody yeah which I think is so it's so like there's so much potential you know like because now at least in a lot of bigger cities it it is so multicultural like in Mumbai It may not be in terms of like there are, of course, sort of non-Indians who come and live there as well, who they some people will call expats because immigrants is only for brown people. But uh, like, there's also so many people from other parts of the country, right? Like in India is essentially like 27 different countries in one. And right. there, there is so much potential, but it seems like it's all like the way that if you divide it between dominant and marginalized which is how it is now like that's the sort of relationship it's such a pity because we're missing out on so much like we as in we from the dominant culture in yeah. within like India or like yeah Singapore I guess yeah. yeah yeah no we do and but honestly I'm not quite sure what the way around this is because when you think of it, if you try to you know force people to it just doesn't end well if you try to force people to interact so it's just one of those things that has to happen organically and I yeah that word but that is the only word for it 
no that's true which is why like for me media is such an important way to do this because you know like if your media shows these cultures and whatever media like not just books and fantasy but also like movies and tv shows and things if you are showing them only in stereotypes then that's how like people who don't know these others like who don't interact with people who are not like them in the real world will then have this idea of those people right like i i didn't i didn't sound very coherent but <laughs> <laughs> no but i know what you mean you're right because if your sort of your only exposure to somebody is through hollywood which will happen like if you're indian and you're maybe living in a smaller town or something your only exposure to people from like china maybe through movies yeah and then you're just going to have this idea that could be really really wrong yeah and now of course there's like uh, just mentioning china now is so fraught because just the amount of like i don't know how it is in singapore because obviously it's a very different sort of part of the world but in the uk there have been so many attacks against not just chinese people but also like east asian people in general because of this whole coronavirus uh, you know thing and it's just like it's it just makes me very depressed to talk about honestly i shouldn't have brought this up but i think it does like there is a link between you considering people from another country just because of the media not just entertainment media but news media as well like if they're so other that it's almost like they're aliens and you know they're even the language that's used like in the US for example like oh aliens you know like yeah. mexicans are aliens that right. it it of course it would have an effect like the language that you use is important it is political like in india as well like people from pakistan or from other parts of the country like if you use things like if you use a word like cockroaches for them like if you're a minister of a party who's using this language h- how do you make it better like that organic growth it'll be impossible for that to be achieved you know right yeah no i that's true that has to be i don't know it's really depressing to think it, it is no let's let's move right. on to some of our fantasy before we get really really sad about this because while it is important i yeah i don't know how much we can do, you know like what we can do about it But can you imagine if trump when he were talking talking about mexicans if he said like instead of calling them illegal aliens he called them expats or something yeah exactly i obviously consider myself an immigrant in the uk currently because i'm living here but i can't call myself an expat because first of all that word like is i'm i'm very doubtful of that word like <laughs> like I, i side eye it but also i'm brown so i'm not allowed to call myself an expat and i'm not rich so i'm definitely not allowed to call myself an expat so uh moving on to less depressing topics or maybe not maybe it'll just harry potter might also depress us but i do love harry potter <laughs> despite all the problems that no, it that's has okay. we'll still have fun yeah so like perhaps maybe we could think about like what is considered the norm and what is considered exotic in some of our favorite worlds like we were talking about like one of the examples i think that you'd um, shared with me a few weeks ago was from pratchett like how right. as much as we love pratchett do you mind explaining uh, just, or just briefly talking about that right um so pratchett whom i mean i love him to bits okay i don't remember which book it was i think it was snuff mm-hmm. but um there's this bit where there's one of the characters whose a mother or grandmother or something came from a country that 
is sort of a stand-in for China. Yeah. And there's a running joke throughout the book that she makes a dish called Man Dog Sakpo, and then there's another dish with another similar name, and it's basically played for jokes. And yeah. I thought that was tragic because Bratchett is so brilliant. He doesn't need to do this. Yeah, I know. And like, I think even with people who consider themselves progressive, people who consider themselves, I suppose, above such cultural goof-ups, I guess, or just horrible cultural uh, missteps, it's important, so important to be on the guard against these things because like we were talking about earlier it's so internalized that you yeah. don't even realize what you're doing is ridiculous or is terrible right and it's i mean there's not even a moment which would possibly have rede- have redeemed it when people you know try this thing and say oh it's actually good or i like it or something it's just yeah. yeah yeah it's just like yeah diversity for the sake of you know, like, yeah, humor, I guess, is comic relief. And uh, like the Amy Sturgis episode on reading, writing, rolling that we were listening to uh, about indigenous futurism, like they were talking about um, essentially, you know, like they were making fun of this, like Rowling's obviously her horrible the way that she's written about them. But they were talking about the radical idea that Native Americans have their own intellectual history. Like, you know, it's this thing that to others, to people who are not, well-versed with this culture or who are just looking at it from this colonial perspective don't realize that things like like Native Americans even though their knowledge and practices differ from us or in India it might be different regions or you know even tribal or rural sort of practices it is still a valid way of understanding the world and interacting with the world if it just doesn't match your own and uh, like it it was reminding me then of like other cultures within Harry Potter whose cultures and intellectual histories are like dismissed and mocked so for example like Ron and just I think the magical world in general is so um, suspicious of goblins and you know the way that they engage with like magic and objects right, and whatever yeah. and, and I mean it's it's so silly because when you think about it the goblins are running the economy you should be really grateful yeah. to them because I don't think anyone in the wizarding world can do maths no I mean their their system is so complicated like how many nuts and sickles and know, like right? can just... you imagine you're trying to make change and you're going like what is 29 into 17 or something I know and like yeah so like I was also thinking that the muggle culture within that and the muggle born culture as well is also so sort of diminished you know like yeah and you know there's this one thing that it didn't occur to me at first but later when I you know reread and thought about it I thought it was really awful which is right up front when Hagrid says we don't reveal ourselves to muggles and the reason is that they'd want magical solutions to their problems and you know I okay you don't want to just be like fixing people's glasses and all I get it but when you realize that wizarding medicine in Rowling's world is like so advanced yeah and they're just keeping it to themselves because they can't be stuffed that's really awful yeah and we were talking about this in an earlier episode like me and my friends and you're like could they fix the climate crisis like could could they like why wouldn't you you live with the muggles as well right like do you not want the planet to be all (laughs) right like yeah it's And also the thing is that they have such a paternalistic attitude toward muggles and muggle-born culture. Like I was thinking, so I reread Philosopher's Stone recently and Mm -hmm. this Hermione's, you know, her sort of obsession with 
reading everything to know about the magical world and like being this rule follower until she isn't but still like largely being yeah. you know following rules and i was thinking that that's so similar to the experiences of an immigrant right like of either in another right. country or like even in another yeah. like from rural to urban or whatever and you want to be the best version of yourself because if you go wrong you will be held as the representative for your entire race or religion or yeah whatever and nobody seems to really be that curious about hermione's you know like her muggle background or except arthur weasley but even he is in it's in a way that for him it's sort of like he's looking at something in a zoo he's not yeah yeah like in or in a museum yeah exactly it's like okay magic is super te- like advanced in some cases but in other cases like muggles we use ballpoint pens like we do <laughs> you know it's like we have like quills and ink yeah like you and you know we have like we don't use chamber pots it like I, i don't know like some of them kids still use chamber pot or was it just dumbledore i don't know i have this dumbledore who found chamber pots in the room oh, yeah yeah which like a uh, plumbing like folks <laughs> so you know it's just like there's so much that can, you know just this cross cultural collaboration if the wizards and which is actually respected or were curious about muggle culture imagine how much better hogwarts would be like health and safety would definitely be better <laughs> because they don't seem to have heard about it maybe therapy some of the professors could also do with therapy i think <laughs> and just the internet like imagine how much miscommunication has happened in just even the order of the phoenix just because no, just, i mean just imagine if harry had a cell phone then sirius yeah. would not be dead i know i know like just and you know the other thing that i and that's another thing that i realized only after um i saw i mean when in the google doc you put that thing about food the other thing that struck me is that in all of harry potter all the food is just exactly like in enid blyton I mean oh, I think yeah. the most foreign thing they have is like boya base and even yeah. that is sort of making fun of it but Yeah because oh, what is this foreign thing that only floors seems to want Yeah but I mean actual british culture I would I mean they do have a lot of like other food I would think I Oh you know what the national dish of the, of the UK is chicken tikka masala <laughs> Yeah exactly but there's yeah. never chicken tikka masala at all yeah. what's Exactly. like i'm not even joking this is something that scotland claims to have invented which i'm like i'm taking with a grain of salt it was some bangladeshi immigrants in scotland that apparently invented chicken tikka masala which fine whatever but like imagine how much more like the the food seems to be when i used to read about enid blyton food as a kid it used to seem so exotic and so exciting to me and right. then i when i reread it as a uh, as, as an adult i was like oh you're eating boiled eggs with a twist of salt okay that's <laughs> i understand because i think she like i've read this that she written about it in the post second world war sort of atmosphere where there was lots of rationing happening in the uk so she was trying to make simple food and things you know yeah. sound exciting which worked because like yeah it's super exciting even to this kid in india who had like <laughs> yummy food around her but yeah like so the, the diversity in hogwarts like what are the patel twins eating like are they just like are they happy with this bland british food like, they have like, like toast and marmalade for breakfast yeah. every day 
yeah like do they not want some masala in there like i know how what a struggle it is with because like i have a white scottish boyfriend who is used to some spice but is not used to indian level of spice so you know it's right. always a compromise where we in terms of spice and like he knows i like chili in everything like i like chili flakes in like most things so i need some spice like how can you be an indian or a child of an indian immigrant in hogwarts and not want like i don't know some curry powder in everything all yes. of them or even like cho chang she never gets noodles i think they're always having that's true there are no noodles in hogwarts like what a travesty there's no like fish and chip either like you know which is i suppose would be considered more like i don't know if there's a class you can go to the hogs head and get fish and chips ah perhaps yeah so it's all healthy food in hogwarts which is like quite boring like even dal like dal would have also been or lentil yeah. soup as they call it here would have been at least more exciting yeah that's true like i never thought about the food in hogwarts actually about how um narrow it is like you know what a fixed definition of food there is and Yeah I wonder if there's like fan fiction out there about just having a desi christmas or a diwali maybe like <laughs> maybe the patels could celebrate diwali or i don't know what whatever other i'm very bad with my hindu festivals but like yeah and in i don't know in star wars and things food is not really except in the star wars holiday special where there was another 20 minute segment which consisted of like a person on the tv cooking something <laughs> with an increasing number of arms that came out i'm telling you everybody needs to go watch this movie because it is amazing food is not i mean you see a bit of it here and there but it's not really a focus which God. like i don't understand because for me food is the most important part of any adventure <laughs> like who i i suppose they're busy fighting a genocide <laughs> maniac i guess so so yeah, it's okay yeah jedi knights don't care about food oh what a sad future is this the future that we're <laughs> heading towards oh no yeah in uh, game of thrones i know like there have been a lot of critiques in a song of ice and fire for his obsession with describing food and lord of the rings as you uh, know his histories but yeah <laughs> Oh no even in terms of like food of course but there's also um, language like we briefly yeah. spoke about before and like yeah i was th- just like in terms of the wookie language but also like in any of the fantasy worlds like of course english is because they're written i suppose in the uk and the us but So like I think the foreign language that I can think of for example in the Lord of the Rings I think elvish is one right, right? Yeah. and the orcs have their own language yeah from yeah. what i remember and obviously one is good whereas the other is evil the people who come yeah. from the west, the east are not <laughs> not to be trusted their villains whereas the the elves are yeah they have this gentle tongue and yeah <laughs> no no problems there So yeah no I think the way they handle languages is and that's a problem with uh, Tolkien definitely because he's I mean I don't I don't want to speculate because it was so long ago I don't want to speculate about whether or not it was intentional but everything that happens is sort of focused on the west and the east at, I mean there are a lot of these mysterious events that happen there like the elves awoke on the shore of the sea and then they came to the west and the two blue wizards went there and never heard of again so you have no idea what's happening there it's just the sort of you know for all you know there are snake charmers it's this sort of mysterious exotic place and we've got 
no clue what's going on. And part of it, I think, is also just that Tolkien was, I mean, it was his area of study, the yeah. Anglo-Saxon and Nordic. And so it's natural, possibly, that all the languages he invented should sort of be based on that. But yeah, I don't know. I think culturally, it's also that his intention was to create a mythology for England. So he mm. he wasn't trying to be diverse, which yeah. I mean, it's not an excuse. It isn't no, diverse. But, I, I mean, yeah. I do understand what you're saying. Like, I suppose, especially when he was writing, what, during the 60s, the 1960s, 50s or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I he started writing a bit earlier than that, started creating a bit earlier than that. But yeah, then the books were coming out then. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I do understand that why, like, diversity wasn't such a big thing. But then, you know, the sort of ideas that we have, because, like, I think Zen Cho said that, like, currently Western culture is global culture, just because of how cultural imperialism has moved in terms of media. And, like, English itself is considered such... Like this language of intelligence in India, like I'm talking specifically, like, you know, it's considered to be like my neighbor, one of my neighbors back home in Bombay. She uh, had like an interview in the school for her kid, like her kid was three or four. So they wanted to get into like this fancy international school. And Mm -hmm. she was so um, worried, like she wanted me to come to her like the night before and teach her English because she was like, I don't know to speak English. Like she, she speaks in Marathi. And um, she's like, you know, if I speak in Marathi and if I'm not able to speak in English, it's they're going to think I'm, you know, I don't like I won't be able to look after my child's education or they're going to think I'm not intelligent. And, you know, like, yeah, right. And like this is in Mumbai where like it's full of Maharashtrians. It's full of people who speak Marathi. And like I like I wanted to see like I did tell her that you know don't worry about the language so much but also like on the other hand there are people who do equate English like people who speak in English who do equate English with intelligence and you know like if you don't speak in English you're obviously not as your ideas are not as worthy as someone who does speak in English or what you think and say which is yeah it's it's so sad that so like I think just talking about these things it helps but even if, you, if you're just talking amongst people who think like you, it's like, we're just like coming up with problems on this episode. Like, here's a problem. No, actually, now that you mention it, um, so there is this uh, thing in Lord of the Rings in the book. It doesn't come in the movies. So Frodo on his, uh, on his way when he leaves Bag and he meets these elves who are all going west because everyone goes to the west. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he greets. So there are two forms of elvish that are primarily spoken in Middle Earth, Sindarin and Quenya. And Quenya is the one that's better and higher and everything. And so he knows the Quenya greeting because Bilbo taught him. Oh. And he uses that, and the elves are immediately like, I think they name him Elf Friend on the spot. <laughs> so that's. Uh, that's pretty much the same thing has happened to your neighbor, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And also, just as a side note, I find it really interesting that people or like Tolkien fans are so excited to learn Elvish or like Star Trek fans are so excited to learn Klingon, but not an actual foreign language that might make their neighbor more comfortable or somebody, (laughs) you know, more comfortable. But like, yeah, you know, like language, just like food as well. Like I think in one of the episodes that I was listening to later, like after we spoke uh, when we were planning the episode, it was another Imaginary Worlds podcast episode about just food 
food in fantasy and they uh, in one like one of the guests was talking about how food is used to express xenophobia like not just in the real world like obviously in the real world where you know if you meet this unfamiliar food you mm-hmm. like ew what like you know what is this and you it meets with disgust but also in science fiction and fantasy where if you are going to this new either planet or country or land or whatever it's like there's so much that can be done to push against what happens in the real world rather than just replicating what happens in the real world you know yeah but like I'm happy that even though like something is so internalized it's difficult to unlearn these things but still there's conversation like you and I were having but also just on the internet in general that there's more conversation about diversity so you know there's more sort of like people are becoming aware of these things and it's helping decolonizing traditional ideas of fantasy. I've I've like learned to re-examine a lot of the, the things and the way I read fantasy just just through like Tumblr and Facebook well not Facebook so much Tumblr and you know stuff online yeah absolutely me me too just because like you're not learning these things in school right like nobody's telling you these things like where else are you learning these things it's just the internet and for me fandom like that's one of the major reasons that I started this podcast for the PhD project because for me fandom has been such a tremendous learning experience and like critically analyzing things and unlearning things like problematic things that I have I think part of the problem in schools, at least, might just be that they don't know how to have these conversations. Because one of the the literature texts I did in school was The Tempest. Mm. And I mean, that it's I love Shakespeare, too, but that is also problematic in so many ways. But that's just something they don't talk about in schools. And maybe they don't they don't know how they can't. Oh, yeah, you're so right, because like. Even if you're taking, like, I think more contemporary texts need to be used in schools anyway. <laughs> but, like, you know, just even if you want to, like, place them in conversation with what you consider classic texts. But, like, there is such an opportunity to talk about, like, anti-Semitism or, you know, to talk about, like, problematic ideas in something like Shakespeare. For example, right. like, I used to do this uh, reading program in a school and mm-hmm. in Mumbai. And, like, one of the people, um, she was, you know, she really, wa- she wanted to get rid of the fairy tale books in the library because she said that, which is true like a lot of the fairy tales they do have like really problematic ideas of gender and I told her that I think getting rid of these books would be like a really a lost opportunity because they're going to be getting these messages outside anyway like Disney as we were talking is this huge corporate behemoth that is going to pervade everything and (laughs) it's it's like a I think a better use of that would be to like read these stories but then teach the kids to you know sort of problematize them to see what is you know what can be challenged in these ideas within the story that you don't have to accept and similarly in Shakespeare as well I'm sure right because it's the same thing we were talking about earlier you can appreciate something and still realize that it's got problems yeah exactly and like I love so one of my favorite things is retellings of fairy tales or of mythology or of just of like old stories that were written when everything was really problematic like from looking at it from now but then they like sort of subvert the stories in ways that make them really relevant and contemporary and you know make it more exciting for us but actually you know this I was reading this thing on I think on Tumblr or somewhere a while ago and I thought it was really cool because so it was about fairy tales and the original fairy tales not retellings then about what you can 
I mean, the the good things, even in those are basically um, the one I remember, Cinderella, because she was saying sort of that it's got it's obviously it's full of problems. But then the thing is also that Cinderella's she manages to stay hopeful despite all the horrible things that are mm. happening to her. And she stays kind and, you know, she is still a good person despite everything. And that's something worth remembering, even if there are problems with the rest of it, which I think is that's true that's such a good point because that's true even in like uh, the text that we've talked about today right like for example harry yeah. potter or you know lord of the rings pratchett whatever some which we love more than others for me it's definitely <laughs> harry potter i'm like an avowed harry potter fan girl but also pratchett but yeah like it's you don't need to toss out the whole thing because you have one problematic element or maybe more than one problematic element you can still like search for the good in that like harry potter has impacted so many people in the world like you know right. just positively like you see these yeah. examples in activism as well like where they draw on harry potter as like what people might have drawn on religion first like they're drawing on harry potter as a sort of cultural you know like myth almost and they're using it to understand the world which like that's why I love fandom so much because there is room for all these different interpretations and you're like learning from each other which like in so in one of the things that like an academic text that I read Henry Jenkins who's awesome who's one of mm-hmm. my favorite academic um so he's a fan scholar so he's both a fan and a scholar and he talks about the collective intelligence of fandom where right. like not just one person doesn't know everything like it's impossible for yeah. one person to know everything but like everybody has different skills and knowledge and you're coming together in this space around a thing that you love and you're drawing on your own experiences and knowledge and backgrounds and whatever and making sense of it together yeah I think actually that's why I like Tumblr so much because it's really a space where that happens like people just join conversations Sure, like you were saying, uh, you like sort of learned a lot of queer perspectives, like about queerness and just queer ideologies and things from Tumblr, right? Like from fandom. Right, because that's just not something that, I mean, I knew that queerness existed, but it just wasn't something that was really on my radar when I was reading or unless someone, you know, just like, I wouldn't have thought that a character was non-white in a Western book. I would not have thought that a character was queer unless the writer just said it outright. Yeah, because if you're not a part of that marginalized group, I guess you're not really thinking about these identities. Like there was another uh, sort of in terms of disability, like neurodiversity. I uh, was listening to this other podcast where they they read like Hermione and Luna as well as Neville, I think, and Harry Potter as neurodiverse, like as autistic, because they just, they said something very, like, which really struck a chord that when writers are trying to write or or are writing disabled characters into stories, they're usually really rife with stereotypes, like, especially if it's someone who doesn't have experience with disability. And, you know, they've done, like, research, but they're using, like, they've obviously not talked to like a person with a disability so it's stereotype so people with these disabilities they rather would recognize their own identities and practices and behaviors and whatever in characters that are not explicitly said to be disabled right. like you know Actually, have a disability sense because also I think the problem would be that a writer would be afraid of you know being accused of bias if they had too many flaws in a disabled character or something of that sort so they just end up being these perfect people yeah yeah and or like you know just like that one thing 
gives them the super skill or like or something yeah. that it's yeah. just the disability becomes their magical power which yeah like for me just these fandom conversations like i was telling you fan podcasts have become my new like fandom expression because like tumblr <laughs> would have sucked all the fan podcasts suck a lot of my time also but like i don't have time for two things right now um so luckily i get to do this as a part of my research i've chosen like a good sort of project but yeah like i learn so much but even within fandom i feel like even within the conversations like we were talking about cultures earlier like i feel like there are cultures within fandom as well like yeah just not not just like say harry potter would be different and lord of the rings would be different and like you know but even within like harry potter for example so initially in fan fiction and things there's a lot of there's been a lot of like gender uh, and queerness like yeah. a lot of sort of engagement with that but not so much with race and then yeah. a few years ago i think it was called out like this became a topic of conversation then in fandom that you know there's like there's this race blindness that's happening and you're not really talking about race and like then there was also like trans i think like trans folks who are also complaining about this but now yeah. i feel like in terms of diversity there's a lot of conversation happening about race but not so much about like other marginalized identities like not so much about for example say disability or class or i don't know religion i guess like i do see a few things like there were these really cool texts like about how what muslim students in hogwarts like how they would celebrate eid and you know how they would do the yeah, month of ramadan you were mentioning that yeah that and that also brings up the question of you know same thing batil twins and church i mean is everyone christian who goes to hogwarts because they seem to celebrate christmas and yeah eastern sort of I don't even know cuz I don't get the impression that anyone is really overtly a believer like I Yeah because they, they don't talk about so. Jesus or anything like or the birth of Christ or yeah, anything. So Christmas just seems to be for like you know crackers and Yeah. So like the cultural cultural rather than Right. Religious. So in that case there's no reason why they can't like you said have Diwali or something. I'm sure they'd have fun doing that too. Like how fun would Diwali sweets at Hogwarts be though? Like you know, <laughs> jalebi and like I don't know. Like I just miss Indian food a lot. I wish it was a bigger part of Hogwarts. No, and just think what they could do with the fireworks. Yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah like the yeah I mean to like yeah maybe the animals and stuff like fang wouldn't have a great time in, during Diwali at Hogwarts <laughs> but like it, it's some sacrifices I guess have to be made but yeah like even like Eid or something you know just like just having yeah. to like understand each other through your customs and rituals and celebrations without exoticizing them right like or like Chinese New Year because I'm sure Cho Chang can't be the only Chinese student there yeah Yeah, I mean I hope not because like there seems to be like one token diversity everywhere but yeah like just different like even there yeah, are different cultural regional national celebrations would be really good like scottish as well like they're in scotland we don't really know anything about like celtic anything yeah. like we're not exposed to whatever so i think we're just about running out of time But thank you so much Aditi for being on this podcast and for being a part of this project. It was so fun talking to somebody who has the same sort of cultural context but also different fandoms, you know, and like just bringing both our fandoms together and just yeah, geeking out about what we love and what we love to hate. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Great fun.
You've been listening to our episode on representations of diverse cultures in fantasy media. While editing this episode, Jack showed me a great example of encountering unfamiliar food from a different culture in one of his favorite shows Star Trek. Commander Riker participates in an officer cultural exchange program and begins to understand the Klingon culture through its food. If like me, you're curious about checking it out, the episode is called A Matter of Honor. If you can think of any other fictional examples of different cultures interacting with each other without the western colonial perspective, I'd love to hear them. Thanks for such a fun conversation, Aditi. And thanks for all the editing and recommendations, Jack. You can now listen to Marginally Fanish on Spotify, Apple, Google, or SoundCloud. I'd love to hear from you and talk to you, so any feedback, comments or critiques are very welcome. Get in touch with me on social media, leave a comment on my blog or email me at edps@leads.ac.uk. If you'd like to follow the podcast or the PhD project, visit my website marginallyfanish.org where you'll find both the podcast episodes and the blog. You can also receive updates on Facebook or Instagram at marginally fanish or on Twitter where I'm marginal fanish. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with anyone you think will enjoy it too. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next time for all things fanish and intersectional.